Good evening and welcome back to another edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. As always, I'm joined by my buddy Rob. What's going on, Rob? Hey, nothing. Hope you're doing okay today. <laughs> yeah, doing good. Uh, Rob, looking forward to a um, future episode where we break down that Dave Matthews at PC Ballroom video. Oh, in detail. That was pretty epic, wasn't it? From the other night. Yes, that's pretty amazing. Um, but we, as always, are brought to you by Mossy Creek Fly Fishing in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Go by, see Brian and Colby and the guys, and they will um, set you up with anything you need for your spring needs. Um, but we want to move right into the show tonight because we have our most knowledgeable guest, um, a real someone who actually knows what's going on. And we're here to preview football. By the time most people listen to this, there will be 12 days until kickoff of the JMU 2021 spring football season. And we are so fortunate tonight to be rejoined uh, by Greg Medea from the Daily News Record. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for being here. Rob, Todd, good good to be with you both. Uh, happy to be back. And, and yeah, football season, it's it's coming quick. <laughs> yeah. Usually when the Super Bowl's over, I kind of am like, uh, here we go. Like, I got to yeah. start. There's that Looking like, into other things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's almost like a little bit of depression. Um, you're <laughs> like, oh, no more football. It's like anticlimactic. And now it's just, it like wet my beak a little bit. actually got me more excited. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. the only thing I liked about that game. But <laughs> um, Well, needless to say, we're excited to talk about football uh, tonight. And we what Rob and I really needed is a refresher on what the heck is going on with FCS spring football and JMU football, in particular, many of the positions on the defensive side of the ball. So we're going to ask Greg about that. But um, Greg, we wanted to ask you first, uh, you got to cover Aaron Stinney. I think that was your first year here was the first year they won the title, right? And That's correct. I know. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you had been at West Virginia before. So I'm sure that you've had guys um, that you've interacted with previously, uh, uh, you know, who have gone on to great pro success. But it had to be pretty cool for you, right? To to see guys from JMU that you'd covered win the Super Bowl the other night. Yeah, <laughs> no, night. it's, it's uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty tremendous accomplishment, especially when you think about Aaron's story. I mean, you're talking about a, a defensive lineman who who came to JMU on a five percent scholarship, ultimately transitioned to offensive line. Uh, whenever Withers was the coach, Jamal Powell's the offensive line coach figured out how to play offensive line, became a really good offensive lineman, even though he didn't want to uh, at first, then earned a scholarship uh, while Withers uh, was the coach in Harrisonburg. And then under Mike Houston and his staff in, in 16 and 17, 16, of course, they won the national title. 17, he was an All-American. So the story just kept building and building. Uh, but then undrafted out of JMU, goes to the Tennessee Titans, uh, doesn't doesn't do as well there as he, he probably would have liked to. Ends up getting cut, joins Tampa Bay late last season in, in 2019, uh, and then has this crazy, uh, crazy situation where their starter gets hurt uh, in, the, in the postseason. He makes his first career start in the NFC Divisional Playoff, and, and then on it was uh, into the NFC Championship game, plays at Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers, yeah. the Packers, right? Uh, and then all <laughs> while he's protecting Tom Brady, the, the best Brady. quarterback, best maybe pro athlete of all time, and then wins the Super Bowl uh, on, on Sunday night. Just just, just a really incredible story. Then you add the fact that Josh Wells 
is there too. Former JMU offensive lineman or a Watford uh, practice squad member. Was with the Bucks in, in 19 too, uh, but practice squad member. Uh, it's pretty rare to see three players from an FCS school playing a Super Bowl team, let alone three players who play the same position, offensive line, uh, <laughs> yeah. on a team in the NFL. It's just it's just a crazy, incredible story. Uh, and, and Stinney, obviously, is the, is the focal point there. Yeah. It, and he did a good job. It wasn't just <laughs> like he played. I mean, for the guy, the, some of the talk leading up to it, I'm sure both of you guys saw it, but people were saying like that was going to be a potential – weak spot for the Bucs. You know, you got a guy in his third start going up the Super Bowl. I mean, it, I'm sure a lot of JMU fans perceived that as a slight. It wasn't. It was kind of, I mean, no offense to him. It was kind of a logical position. He was put in a really difficult situation. And for anybody to expect him to play that well, I think was, I don't know, they had tremendous faith in it, I'll say that. But I was really impressed. The offensive line on both sides was the story. But Stinney and the guys did a great job of protecting uh Brady, but that really is like a storybook situation there to go, like you said, you know, come out of nowhere, but then to play that well, you know, you get your break, that whole next man up mentality. It was kind of, it was exciting as not only just a JMU fan, but as a football fan. I mean, everybody loves kind of the underdog story. So I thought it was really fun. It was really cool to see him. I go, I go back to what Jamal Powell told me a couple weeks ago, the the former JMU O-line coach. Uh, he, He goes, basically, Stinney was on a book scholarship. That that's 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 kind of how he termed it, uh, yeah. scholarship, which is which is pretty wild, pretty crazy. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you work your way into a starter and an All American, full scholarship player at JMU uh, into an NFL. It's it's uh, incredible story, and and you know it's it's one of those stories you hear about kind of as as it as the pinnacles being hit right you don't you don't hear about it when he's when he's just slogging along and on the practice right. field in Harrisonburg uh you hear about it you know when he's about to play in the Super Bowl and then when he wins a Super Bowl yep oh uh, and it was so fun I kept waiting for Romo to mention they you know they kept talking about how they were running to the right side running to the right side and I kept wanting him to point out who the right guard and right tackle were yeah. uh, there for Fournette and Jones in the second half. But what a great story. And congrats to Aaron. And I mean, Earl Watford's a guy we followed for a long time and always enjoyed and really happy for him. Um, as Rob and I have said, what incredible careers that Watford and uh, Wells have carved out for themselves in the NFL uh, is is really it's just great to see. So yeah, just, I mean, like, I mean, you don't need to be a star, but what's the average career is what, like two and a half years in the NFL. So to hang around and just find yourself on a roster year in, year out, that's, that's something to hang your hat on. That's really cool. I'm, I'm happy for yeah. both, for all three guys. And, and, and Stinney was a freshman at JMU when Wells was a senior and, and Wells kind of took kinda, not the same path, but a path of, he was a high school quarterback, uh, played a little tight end in college before Mickey Matthews' staff moved him to the O-line permanently. So he's someone that's kind of had to grow along too. And, I, and just from talking to Wells ahead of Stinney's first start uh, or last month when, before the NFC Divisional playoff, he goes, you know, I just I just told Stinney, you know, beat yourself, play the game. Wells, you know, Wells took about the same time to earn his first start. Of course, it didn't come in a playoff game, but it took him, you know, two and a half, three years before he got his first NFL start. And he goes, you know, you just got to play like you've always played. Try to play as, as well as you can, and and hopefully that's good enough, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, kind of cool having that that mentorship of the of the former JMU senior helping the former JMU freshman as, as members of the Tampa Bay Bucks as they, as they win a Super Bowl. 
Oh, yeah. And, and with Wells, I mean, if you're going to run a gimmick play and throw it to a lineman, may, maybe you should have put in the guy who can catch passes or through passes in high school. You know? Right. Uh, exactly. That or that don't throw cool. it to the NDSU guy. Yeah. Just, that's, that's, that, <laughs> right, that was sorry. particularly bittersweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Greg, we really wanted to talk to you about this season that is, as we have all joked about here at the beginning, uh, an, an incredibly short time away. And it looks like it's really going to happen. And I guess I'm so thankful to Coach Signetti for his comments the last few weeks that, at least as a fan, I feel like have given me the green light to also start getting excited about the season, um, you know, despite any concerns about other things in the world. So that's good. Um, but the one thing I wanted to start with, Greg, was this is like a free, from from what I understand and listening to your excellent podcast about this this is a free year or this season the spring season is a free season in terms of eligibility what does that really mean for people like, yeah that's like what yeah that that's correct and i kind of i'll try to clean it up for you so, so you know what it means i i would say yeah i would say this this spring season even in the fall for the fbs kids uh that, that got to play in the fall the eligibility did not count against the player. So they played, if, if they played in the fall, if they're going to play in the spring, uh, say they're a junior, uh, they're, they're going into the spring as a junior. Uh, when they come out of the spring, they'll still be a junior in the eyes of the NCAA. Uh, they may be an, they may be a senior grade-wise and, and school-wise, <laughs> but uh, by the NCAA's eyes, they're going to still be a junior when next fall comes around because of the pandemic the NCAA gave all all fall athletes an extra year of eligibility. So it is essentially, like like you coined it, uh, a free year. So to me, uh, I think I think it's 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 pretty it's pretty nice luxury for, for James Madison in a lot of ways because they have some players that could have really helped them in the fall too, uh, take advantage of a of, of a free uh, year and be another, you know, few months older. Uh, playing their final season of, of football, playing another season of football uh, for the Duke. So it is it is an extra year. It's, it's not an extra year of eligibility. It's probably the wrong way to put it. It's a uh, it's it's a year worth of playing where you're not going to be penalized for it. Uh, so if you're you're a freshman going in uh, to this spring, you'll be a freshman again in the fall, all because of the pandemic. Everybody given that uh, given that blanket waiver eligibility uh, to where where it doesn't count against them. Uh, in this weird pandemic year where some FBS schools played four to six to eight to 10 to 12 games where the FCS is playing in the spring uh, Mm -hmm. doesn't count. Gotcha. So does that hypothetically mean then that basically everyone who suits up for the Dukes this spring has the opportunity to come back in the fall, even if they're a quote unquote senior right now, right? 100%. Yep. Okay, yep, so uh, we don't know. Say for, so for example, a guy like Liam Fornadel might not come back because he might go on to the next level. I don't know his story, but I'm just saying that. But he also would have the opportunity if he wanted to to play in the fall. Yeah, right? that's that's 100 percent correct. Okay. Yeah, he he'd be okay. able to uh, to come back. I think a couple of players have already decided they're coming back. Harry O'Kelly, the punter, Ethan Radke, the kicker. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the long snapper, the specialist. Uh, I've heard 
I've heard most players they'd expect to come back. Obviously, nothing's finalized yet, but just from what I've heard, I, I would think most of those seniors come back because if you think about it, uh, the next NFL draft cycle wouldn't hit until, you know, if, if you're talking combine, pro days, draft, that would begin uh, that would begin February 2022. Uh, so they have plenty of time to keep playing with JMU if they want to, uh, if, they, uh, if they want to pursue an NFL career. They can play the fall, and I think they could take advantage of it. Uh, you know, yeah. in, the, in the fall, the, this past fall, you heard how a lot of the FCS prospects, it would be tough because they'd lose a year of game film. Well, now on the back end, you think you're talking about playing a spring season uh, and a fall season. And if you're JMU, that means maybe is playing playing as many as 28 games uh, by the time next January hits. Uh, if they get if the Dukes get to Frisco as frequently uh, as they'd yeah. like to. Uh, if they get to Frisco in the spring and the fall, you're talking about playing as many as, as 28 games, and I, I don't think that's out of the question. And that's that's plenty of film, I think, for, for yeah. NFL <laughs> talent about Yeah, God. Yeah, I mean, I think film, about so. guys like Wayne Davis or Azanima or Percy. I mean, the opportunities that guys like that could could have to – yeah, it, it's – that's really something to think about. So now that that's awesome, and like that's a very positive way of looking at it. Have you heard anybody with any concerns about the opportunity? To like, you know, it's great to get twenty more, twenty eight more opportunities on film, but is anybody concerned about playing twenty eight games in, in what would be, you know, essentially little less than a calendar year? Do you heard anything oh, about I'm that? Sure. Or people that are reluctant. I, I'm sure there's some worry, uh, especially. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for anybody, but. I, I'm sure there are some some possible draft prospects that could think, you know, what's the chance that that you get hurt? You have 28 more opportunities if you play that many games to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there is some hesitation when you think about it from that standpoint. But I, I do think Kurt Signetti has had a pretty good outlook at it from, from the outset when when JMU knew it would be taking this spring football route. He said it's all about managing the roster. Derek Owings, new strength coach, he's playing a big role in that uh, in terms of workload. That's capacity in the weight room, practice schedule. Kurt's not a big long type of practice guy anyway. Most of his practices are are very short and condensed. He'd rather get more done in a little bit of time with with rapid, quick reps Mm -hmm. as opposed to a long, drawn-out practice to get the players off their feet. Uh, I think that's even going to be more exaggerated now uh, that that he knows he has to prepare for not only the spring season in the immediate future, but the fall season too. And if you get into those December, January months in the traditional season, uh, you got to be aware of that. So there's a lot of thought process and a lot of planning going into that aspect of it. Yeah. And then one more final note on this point, Greg, is I think I understand this correctly, that for the spring season there, because it's a free year, there's also no walk-on restrictions for the younger players, right? So red if shirt. they could red shirt, that's what I meant to say, red, red shirt, shirt restrictions. Yeah. So they could normally, if you played more than four games, you would, you know, you would have used a season of eligibility and that has put JMU in some awkward positions in the past, mm-hmm. um, particularly at the quarterback position at times <laughs> uh, of, you know, have it, whether they put a guy in the game or not when they're, winning some of the games we expect them to win handily this year. I'm guessing right in the spring, conceivably, if they're up 28 in the second half, they could put empty the bench every game all season. Right. (laughs) 
they certainly could. <laughs> now, right. I, I don't know. I don't know what their travel roster will look like. I don't know if it'll be less players because of the pandemic and because mm-hmm. the number of okay. people on a bus, you know, the whole, all the different protocols and craziness that's going to go along with this season after watching the FBS go through it this past fall. But I, I would think if they want to and they have the luxury to, uh, they certainly, they certainly can. Uh, and they mm-hmm. can use that because, like I said earlier, uh, a freshman going into this spring is also going to be a freshman in the fall. So that is certainly a luxury because JMU, uh, if you look across the CAA, not everybody has the same numbers that James Madison does. Uh, there's, you know, Delaware's in that realm, Towson it, but Towson's not playing in the spring. Um, you, and you have some others. Stony Brook has a larger roster, but schools like Richmond, uh, New Hampshire, they do not have the the large the large roster like JMU does, so it could be an advantage for them uh, if they decide to use it. it. Is it is certainly an option? Cool, it's good to hear. It, it definitely makes me feel a little bit better about the prospect of so many games. <laughs> so yeah. So Greg, the next question is: What are the playoffs going to look like this year? It's a different format. Um, there's less teams. And I think what we were really wondering is with the CAA in particular splitting itself into two divisions that will not play each other and will not play a championship game. Um, how are they going to determine the auto bid if there's a like, I, I, mean, I mean, look, we just hope everybody plays eight games. But regardless, you know, like yeah. if there are two, there's going to be a winner in the south and a winner in the north. You know, what happens if they have the same record? Yeah, that's there, uh, that's a great yeah. question. I saw the tiebreaker uh, scenarios the CAA is listed on its website uh, about <laughs> oh, a month back. And gosh, if I if I were to run through them all right now, I'd probably need about well another podcast to do it. Uh, it uh, there's the, the first the first one is is simple. Each division champ is going to be decided uh, by win percentage. Uh, so. It, if if you if you if you understand what I'm saying, uh, if a team's seven and one versus six and one, uh, the team with the seven and one record is going to win because the winning percentage is going to be better. Uh, so or seven and one it was bad. It should have been they're playing six CA games, so five and one and four and one. Let's just use those mm-hmm. as an example, so yeah. it's a little easier for people to follow. Uh, and that's the same thing too for the automatic bid. The division winner with the best winning percentage will move on um after that it gets a little sketchy uh you have winning percent win percentage win loss percentage versus the highest placed common opponent uh that's within the division you also have the best combined ranking among divisional teams and points scored and points allowed uh there's some other ones too i think that the differential of of the tied teams and all division games, the point differential. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's totally uh, the, 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 the tiebreakers as you get further and further, as you'd imagine, are a mm-hmm. little tougher to decipher. Uh, okay. But, uh, but yes, they're going to have an automatic champion out of the CAA. Uh, there's going to be 16 teams in the FCS playoffs this spring. That's down from the usual 24. You're going to have uh, less, at-large berth, so it's really important uh, to win the conference. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if you want to get into the playoffs, that's the only way you're guaranteed in. 
Uh, mm-hmm. it, when you have a 2014 field, it's a little easier to not win the conference and still get in. Uh, that's not the case this year. It's going to be tougher if you don't win the conference. Uh, so ultra important. My guess is, though, with what happens in the CAA, as long as one of the division winners uh, isn't too terribly bad record-wise, win-loss percentage-wise, is, is my guess is the FCS playoff committee will will let both of those teams in, assuming assuming one's not really bad. So if you say if you have a 6-0 and in a CAA, 8-0 overall JMU, and then a uh, 4-2 and Villanova or a uh, 5-1 and uh, Maine, you probably let that team in the North in also, uh, even though even though they didn't win the conference outright. That would be my guess. I would think the CA is still a two-bid league, but uh, the only way to guarantee yourself a spot in the playoffs is to win the automatic berth out of the Colonial. Got it. Rob, just you want to take more, it's just all the more unusual that they decided not to do the the championship game. I don't know. Maybe they're trying. Maybe there's a logic behind it and trying to get the North and South division champs, but. Um, it is tough. I mean, there's only what five at-large bids this year, mm-hmm. so I guess you figure one goes to CAA, one goes to one or two go to the Missouri Valley. I don't. At, beyond that, it's a little hard to. I have no idea because the, yeah. well, the Big Sky, Montana, Montana State aren't playing, so I don't. You know that that's not as strong as a of a league as it's it a little trickier. Be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on who who these teams are. Um, actually the big sky has all kinds of things. Cause I don't know if the California schools can play at all yet. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but I think we should start by getting into the roster here. That's what we really want to ask. I, I'll take the easy one, Rob, um, Greg, according to your reporting and everything we've heard from co- the coaches uh, it's looking like Cole Johnson is the front runner at the quarterback position, which is the one we were all interested in. Um, but even if Cole holds on to the starting position, do you expect to see um, Gage Maloney, you know, in spots or in pack- packages for him, you know, somewhat like we saw in the championship game last year, actually? Uh, I'm not sure if you see the the wildcat packages okay. as frequently mm-hmm. as you did in the second half of that championship game against North Dakota State. They have it in their back pocket if they need to use it. But my guess is in this, and I could be wrong, my guess is in this crazy COVID year, you're not going <laughs> to risk your second string quarterback running Wildcat packages, uh, Wildcat running plays, uh, just because if anything happens to your first team guy uh, with contact tracing or a positive coronavirus test, you definitely want to have that second string guy you trust. Uh, so I think that will play a big factor this year in, in making sure that Maloney gets reps when when he can. I don't know, if he, maybe in a blowout game or maybe in a spot here or there uh, early on because you look at the two first games out of the gate, Moorhead State and Robert Morris, and those are games JMU should have no trouble with. So I think you'd see him in, in some of those games it, it be just because of how those games should go. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you guys understand where, where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. But I, I would think you'd see just more Johnson. Signetti has said he, he's a one-quarterback guy, likes to be a one-quarterback guy. So I would think, especially early on, as they're trying to get rhythm with the offense, they'll probably want to use Cole as, as much as possible, allow him to get get chemistry and, and grow with receivers and, and running backs that uh, that they're going to need as, as they get down the stretch if they want to be – you know, not only a playoff team, but a championship contender like they're they're used to being. So I would mm-hmm. assume more 
you know, one quarterback traditional type of system uh, and, and keep engaged Maloney as ready as possible, but also as safe as possible uh, in, in doing so. Okay, well that that makes sense, and certainly the the one quarterback thing is kind of music to our ears after suffering through some indecisive uh, previous coaches with Jamie in the quarterback position. What about running back? Like they've just got a stable of talented backs, or should we expect the same sort of things last year, where it's you know kind of equally split, or, or I mean even like Van Horse getting back there, you had, at any given game you could have three or four guys you know, get five or 10 carries. Are we looking at more of the same this year? Or do you think he's going to maybe ride one or two guys uh, more prominently? Yeah. So Percy, Percy Jeobase will be the starter. He went over a thousand yards last year, was, was near the top of the FCS and rushing touchdowns with 19. Uh, I think he'll still be the lead guy. Uh, but again, when, when you look at that prospect of back to back, back to back seasons with the spring and the fall, I think you'll see, uh, more more reps spread out. Juwan Hamilton uh, more in the mix. Another senior, uh, Latrell Palmer will get plenty of carries. Mm-hmm. I would think the big bruising running back that he's become. And I think they're going to use Van Horse a little differently uh, this season. I think you'll see him some in the slot, some at running back, some in the return game. He's going to kind of be there, there you know, do it all weapon. Uh, that that can help the team on offense in, in a multiple in a variety uh, of ways. So I think you'll see Van Horse more that way than as a traditional running back, uh, like he started, you know, the 2019 season. So I think you'll see him more more in a, a varied role uh, this year because Signetti wants to get the ball in his hands and let him try to make plays in, in space. Uh, and the one way to do that is you know let him catch some passes, especially since maybe they're not as deep at receiver as they've been in the past. Uh, so playing Van Horst there, letting him return kicks, that takes some pressure off some other running backs to do it. Uh, so I, I think you'll see plenty of Van Horst just in different ways. Uh, they do have a freshman uh, that has looked really good early on in preseason in Kalon Black. I think he may be one of those freshmen, uh, Todd and Rob, like we just talked about, that in a blowout game, maybe you see him for some <laughs> carries. Uh, yeah. Because there is no penalty. Uh, he's really talented. I remember he, when he was being recruited, he was highly recruited uh, out of the 757 area. I think Virginia Tech was in on him. Wake Forest was in on him. So he, he comes with some pedigree. That's great to hear. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Love, hoping, hoping to see Latrell and um, Kalon for years to come. So, And then the one other guy there, Greg, was uh, we saw some video this week of Austin Douglas catching passes. Um, and just wondering, last year, if I remember correctly, for since it's been a million years, um, he, didn't he, he switch positions at some point in the season? So is he back to playing running back slash receiver? Yeah, he's he's or, playing running back again. They moved him to corner. Yeah, uh, remember? They, I don't know if you guys remember. They were decimated by injuries at corner. There was a point yeah. where Scott Robinson was out, Wesley McCormick was banged up, and they were down to like Taurus Carroll and uh, a couple others. <laughs> Uh, maybe mm-hmm. Jamari Currents was hurt too. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. when they moved Douglas to cornerback. They tried it in practice. Uh, eventually, I think toward the playoffs, they moved him back to running back as Robinson got healthy and, and McCormick was healthy. Uh, so he's back at running back. I think you'll see him a little bit. I think he could be a good special teams player for them. Uh, I, I think he can help on offense if they need him. But when you just when you have Percy and Jawan and Latrell, uh, I just 
I, I just don't see room for for meaningful snaps for many other people back there, yeah. aside from giving Van Horst the occasional touch uh, as a running back when, when you don't use him in the slot or on special teams. Okay. What about um, the offensive line, the guys blocking for him? Obviously, Fernando is the big name they were excited about, but they do need to replace a couple guys. Uh, what's that position group looking like? Yeah, so you'll have uh, three starters back, Liam Fornado, the All-American, uh, the headlining name, probably one of the best linemen in all of FCS football uh, back there at right tackle. Ray Gillespie is back, uh, was indecisive about whether whether or not he wanted to play football again after last year's championship game, could have just graduated, moved on, uh, decided ultimately he did. So he's back at left tackle. and you have a, So then you have bookend tackles with, with tons of experience. Uh, then you have Truvel Wilson at left guard, who was a third-team All-CAA choice uh, in 2019. Then I think at center you'll see JT Timming, uh, fifth-year senior. Kind of interesting story. A lot like Cole Johnson has just waited his turn uh, to finally be a starter, was the backup behind Mac Patrick for the past couple of years, past three seasons. So he'll probably get the nod at center. Uh, and then at right guard, I think it's still up in the air right now. You could see Nick Kidwell, who's had a really good offseason, or the Connecticut transfer Stanley Hubbard, I think, could be in the mix there as well. I think Hubbard, I think Hubbard will play. He can play any of the interior spots, I think. Left guard, right guard, center. Uh, so I think you'll see him as, as maybe that sixth lineman. Did, did start a couple times for Connecticut. Uh, so I think you'll see him in the mix also. But uh the 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 four uh really do, I think, have their starting spots solidified. Obviously, the three returning starters plus uh, Timming. And then I'm, I'm curious to see what happens at right guard with Kidwell and Hubbard. It's good to, good to hear. But it sounds like they have options. I mean, we I was what I was kind of wondering, like, who were kind of the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guys in this position group? And it sounds like they've at least got a seven or so guys they probably feel pretty comfortable with, which is exciting in that group. So the next one on on similar vein here, who's going to play tight end for this team this year? <laughs> what should we know three about guys, Honestly. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, I wow. think you'll see three guys. Noah Turner, the North Carolina transfer. Uh, Dylan Painter, uh, who's been really good uh, for them the past couple of years. Uh, and then Clayton Cheatham, uh, who Kurt Signetti says has just been – uh, really, really good. Probably the best he's seen him since he's had the job at JMU. Ah, good to hear. So <laughs> that that was a little surprising to hear, just because Cheatham's been so banged up throughout the past couple of years. Uh, and and I just think that's uh that's that's pretty that's pretty high praise there for Signetti. He doesn't dish out praise like that too much. Uh, so I think I think Cheatham's going to be a factor for them. I they, they all bring something different. I think mm-hmm. Painter. Uh, is probably the best pass catcher of the bunch. Uh, Cheatham is maybe most most athletic, but really good at blocking. I think you could see him. You know how they used Dylan Stapleton uh, in that kind of H-back type role? I think mm-hmm. you could see some of that with Cheatham. Uh, and then Turner from North Carolina didn't play a ton of tight end uh, for the Tar Heels, uh, but I think he'll be a factor for them, maybe a red zone type target for them. Good to hear. That's all exciting. And for those of us who the Cheatham name means a lot to JMU fans. So we we, kind of wondered what happened to him at the end of the last year and figured it was injury related and glad to hear that. Um, Maybe there's a chance for some more Cheatham magic around here. So yeah, that'd be good to know. 
Yeah. Now, the other big group that everybody's been concerned about, and, and I say concerned because, you know, you lose Polk and Stapleton's wide receiver, but from following you and, and reading your stuff, I'm not as worried. I'm actually kind of excited and, and looking forward to seeing this group on the field. Um, you seem a little optimistic about it. What's giving you that optimism? They've got some speed. Uh, that's <laughs> that's for sure. That helps. Uh, the freshman, Antoine Wells, is an older freshman. was at Fork Union Military Academy. He looks like he'll be a fit for them uh, as, as an outside receiver. Scott Bracey from Duke. I don't know if he's got the explosiveness of, of Polk, but kind of fits in that mold of an older veteran wide receiver, transfer from a power five school who can step in and play right away. And I think when you bring in new players like that who have a jolt of energy, look to be impactful right away, Maybe you get something in terms of competition that that ups the game of of others on the roster who you've been waiting for to show it. Uh, And I think that's what they've gotten with Kendall Dean and Devin Ravenel. Uh, I I think Ravenel could could start for them. Uh, When I've been out of practice or the media opportunities, we've had to be out of practice to this preseason. He's been working with the ones. It doesn't mean he's necessarily going to start. But I think he could be in the mix. I think Dean could be in the mix. I think you'll see them play a bunch of guys at receiver, those four especially, Wells, Ravenel, Dean, Bracey at the outside spot. I mentioned you'll see some of, of Van Horse maybe in the slot, but you also have Chris Thornton, uh, the VMI transfer. He had to sit out in 2019 yeah. due to transfer rules, but I, I think he'll play and, and he's going to catch a lot of passes for them. Uh, blazing speed really, really fast. Yeah, he caught a ton of balls at VMI like he had when he played numbers, there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, I mean, I know really. that's kind of their offense, but yeah, that, that would be exciting to see that in the slot. Well, that makes us feel a lot better. We've been, Rob and I have kind of, we, you know, we forget about the transfers because we're not there and seeing them and that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's, that's good to hear. We were hopeful for Dean and Ravenel for sure, but hearing these other names is, is a positive. Um now we got to move to the harder side of the ball. I wrote a lot of question marks in our show outline <laughs> in, in what to ask you about. Uh, I guess we'll start with the D-line. And we know that, unfortunately, the Dukes lost Jalen Green uh, to injury, have lost Isaac Ukwu to injury. Um, they are moving at probably the best player, you know, arguably on the defense, maybe on the team, Mike Green to defensive end, uh, which is great. But who else is going to join him <laughs> this year? They got a couple transfers, right, that, that we're yeah. curious about. But overall, mm-hmm. yeah, what's this going to look like? Yeah, Rob, the, the transfer from Central Florida, Mason Chulua, I think his addition has allowed them to move Mike Green to defensive end. Chulua is like 6'7", close to 300 pounds. He, he's an enormous <laughs> human being. When I saw him at yes. practice, I was like, just like, geez, man. He was part of, of, you know, an FBS player uh, that, that that's going to really help them uh, at JMU. So I think him coming in allows them to move green. Green's really athletic. Like what he did from mm-hmm. the interior spot last year with, with, or in 2019 with seven and a half sacks, like that's, that's rare. I know he had help on the outside with DACA and Carter, but you still got to be athletic to, 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 get sacks and create pressure from the from the interior of the defensive line. So Green's transitioning out. He, he's not going to be the speed rusher that DACA was, uh, but I, I think he can provide some pass rush there. And that's something Liam Fordado even said earlier this preseason. He was like, 
Green's transition's going well. Like he's tough, uh, and and he he can certainly handle it. So uh, Mike Mike Green's going to be good for them. Uh, Tony Thurston, I think, will play uh, for them finally at the defensive tackle. He he's been kind of up and coming for the past, really since he arrived. Looked like somebody mm-hmm. that could help them. Uh, and then at the end, uh, Abi Anikonaji, Antonio Colclaw, uh, Minnesota transfer, and Colclaw came in the year before. Is a, a a transfer from Temple, uh, so he, mm-hmm. he might be able to help them. Uh, I'm not sure which one of those guys will start it in, but my guess is it would be one of those two opposite of Green. Uh, and then Cholowa, Tony Thurston, uh, and then some other guys in the mix at D-line, uh, Garrett Gruel, James Carpenter. Uh, they, they should have, uh, you know, they, they should have enough there. It'll just be interesting to see how it comes together. Yeah, it will be. Uh, Mike Green's going to set an edge. It's going to be tough to run outside to his side of the, of the <laughs> yeah, field. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exciting to hear. Um, I think, Rob, you want to – sorry, I'm – No, I mean, just – I mean, let's just do this in order. Like, what yep. about the next level, the linebackers? Again, we've got, you know, a couple questions there, but it's traditionally been a position that is that has kind of been a highlight on, on a lot of JMU teams. What are we looking at this year? New group, new new look group. I know you saw uh, Kelvin Azanima uh, at, at one point earlier in the year or earlier in 2019. He, he kind of played in a platoon role with Landon Ward a little bit. Uh, he'll start Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Uh, you saw in a nickel package for for James Madison uh, in that season as well. I think those two are probably your your every down type of linebackers, and it makes sense. They've been waiting their turns behind uh, Ward and Holloway, so. It, it just that's kind of what you see across this roster, though, right? Is, is you see a lot of guys that have waited their turn. Johnson behind Danucci and Shore, Timming behind Mac Patrick, uh, you know, to an extent, Ravenel uh, behind Polk and Stapleton, Dean, the same thing. Uh, and then at linebacker, it, it's really a lot of the same uh, with Azanama and Tucker Dorsey, who had to wait their turn behind Holloway and Word. So to me, that uh, that that really is uh, what they'll have there, and, and they'll roll with that. I, I don't know how their depth is at that position. I think that's something uh, that they'll have to think about throughout the year. I know they're high on Julio Iamel, uh, redshirt freshman, uh, was part of that uh, trio from Good Counsel High School who, who came and joined the Dukes, Jalen Green, Latrell Palmer, Iamel. Uh, he's the one you haven't really seen yet. Uh, I know they're high on him. Mateo Jackson played well earlier in his career. Uh, but I do think uh, they, they would have liked to have had Taurus Jones healthy. He played really well in the fall until he got hurt. Uh, but but overall, I think they're going to roll with Tucker Dorsey and Kelvin Azanima uh, as, as much as they can. Got it. That's good. Yep. Rob, your position group is next here. Oh, I thought <laughs> I just went, man. <laughs> no, you did. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Uh, Let's just, we know where we're going yeah. here. They're going down the line. But, um, now, in the back, the defensive backfield, obviously Wayne Davis is the big name there. Um, but again, like JMU has kind of developed a reputation for continually to kind of reload at the defensive back position. What What's it going to be like this season in the spring? Different defensive backfield. Wayne Davis even said himself, it's, it's been all about communicating, trying to get on the same page with the rest of the defensive backs. So... That that's going to be interesting to see how how it plays out, how it comes together, if it can come together by the time they hit uh, some of those CAA games. I think you'll have 
Davis, who's moved from Spur or Rover, whatever you want to call that hybrid outside linebacker spot. He's moved to traditional safety, strong safety, uh, the, the spot that Adam Smith played in 2019. MJ Hampton is stepping into the spot D'Angelo Amos played. So he's at free safety. Uh, then you've got Wesley McCormick at one cornerback spot. And I think I think you'll likely see Greg Ross, uh, the North Carolina transfer, at the other cornerback spot. Interesting with, with Ross, Signetti's been been high praise uh, really since Ross has arrived and thinks Ross can help them, uh, that, that he's been a good addition to them so far. He, he, he When he left North Carolina, he went to Iowa State or at least committed to Iowa State and signed with them right away. Then he opted out of the fall season. So you're mm. getting Ross with no penalty. They had to get a waiver for him. Uh, to play immediate eligible, that helps. That really helps JMU. Wow, and, that helps. Yeah, that that helps big time. I think Taurus Carroll play. He'll probably be the third corner. Uh, maybe he'll be a starter early on if they give him the first crack over Ross. But uh, my guess is eventually Greg Ross is is one of those starting cornerback spots. Is in one of those starting cornerback spots. Excuse me. Uh, Spur. I think you'll see Q Reed. He's been an up and comer. Uh, some other defensive backs you may see in the mix. Sam Kidd. Chris Chuck Wanicki, yeah. he's healthy, uh, and and kid kid really is going to help them on special teams too. Always did when he was healthy earlier in his career. So uh, I think I think that's a big one for him also. Oh, that's good to hear. I was going to start my specialist uh, conversation with asking you about Sam Kid's health. Uh, we Rob and I thought last year he was a real underrated superstar on special teams before he got hurt. Yeah, and it it did really hurt them a little bit down the stretch. Um, not having that kind of insane gunner on, on some of the coverage. Crazy teams. person. Yeah, just yeah, like, kamikaze yeah. down the field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, I, I guess what you're telling us, Greg, is, is he looks, you know, like he'll be out there this spring. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Now, Greg, can right. I just like, add something too? No. Oh, go go on. I was, was going to say like, how much, how different is it covering, you know, in this weird environment? Like, in a typical year, I imagine you get to watch the team. You get to be a lot more, you know, eyes on at practice. What's it like this year? Are you are you getting to see just certain th- certain practices? Are you more limited? Like, how's it going in terms of actually preparing uh, for your job in the spring? Yeah, it's it's been different. Obviously, all the interviews are over Zoom or phone calls. So there's no there's no real face to face in person interaction with the players. But I get it. You know, there's no complaints here. I understand JMU has taken all the proper precautions that it has to practice access, uh, you know, just has been, has been limited because, because of what's been going on with the pandemic, uh, the media reporters, we've been allowed to see portions of two practice. So two practices so far in any other year, you can pretty much go walk all, you know, up and down the practice field uh, for the portions they have available. Now we're, you know, putting a stand so we're a little further away, uh, but you still get to see it. Uh, so whatever you can get is good, and, and you can still do your job uh, effectively. Uh, but it, without the in-person interaction of interviews, maybe you don't get uh, a ton of in-depth insight that you normally would get. I know I'm doing a really bad job of selling uh, the newspaper, <laughs> no. but I, I totally get you know what what's happening with it uh, from James Madison's perspective. They got to protect the players, make sure they stay healthy, uh, make sure no reporters get sick. Uh, so I, I totally get where everybody's coming from, and it's just part of it. You know, it's it's, it's no big deal. It's a weird year, and, and you just 
you just do the job the best you can. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear. And I actually just saw tonight, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the UNC basketball team. Um, Miami canceled their game because their players had pictures of the UNC players out partying after the Duke win the other night. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And I'd, I'd heard coach Signetti kind of his couple, the little sound bites we've had through you, Greg, yeah. um, and through the school, you know, he's definitely talked about like, we can be as good as we're committed to be basic. And I think what he's trying to say is like, we have to act right, you know, yeah, through no, this no season. And yeah. his, his brother's on staff at Boston college. Uh, and, and oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys paid attention at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Boston college went through the whole fall without any positive coronavirus test, the whole team. Yep. Uh, pretty incredible. Not not easy to do you with, with all the cancellations and everything. And played really well by their played standards. Well. So I, so you I know, asked, really gave Clemson a run for it in yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. They, they were good this year. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just asked Kurt, you know, did, did your brother teach, did you, you talk to your brother at all about it? And he just goes, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty much the same blueprint for everybody. And it comes down to the players. You know, the players got to make smart choices. The coaches are going to make smart choices because it's their livelihoods. The players, it's probably pretty tough for a college kid, you know, not to want to yeah. go out and party and, and be social and be have that everyday life. I don't know how much of that's going on on a campus anyway, but if you're mm-hmm. seeing UNC players out and about after a Duke game, you know, there's going to be yeah. temptations there on a Saturday. Yes, yes. Right? Yep, yep. Well, I, I mean, you all, the Giants guys here had to suffer through um, Washington's, you know, I don't know what you call it, better than expected year, but it was interesting because they were the least, they lost the least games to COVID of any team in the league. And I think a huge part of that was probably what was going on with Coach Rivera yeah. and the players and their families being more respectful of the rules this year than probably other teams in the league. And it did, you know, them getting to the playoffs was was maximizing that roster, you know, so... I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of coaches around the country who are thinking if we could just get to the playoffs healthy, we'd really be in a good good shape. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I think I think that's totally the case. I think there's hope too that as the season goes on and as the weather maybe warms up in April and May as you get closer to the playoffs and the championship mm-hmm. game, that maybe things are better with the virus. Maybe more people have been vaccinated. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, you got to have hope, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I don't mean to cross the streams here, Greg, but I had my annual, well, this year I didn't go out to lunch with my Duke club rep, but I had a zoom call with my Duke club rep um, this week. And that was one of the you know, we were discussing the possibility that if they could make it all the way to Frisco in May, um, you know, it could be a considerably different look to a game in Frisco in May than it is at Bridgeforth in two weeks in February, you know, um, so who knows? The, the whole notion of like the home playoff games, typically everybody's excited, but nobody really goes. Right. It could be the complete opposite this year. I mean, like that could be right when everybody's rounding into form and feeling I'm knock on wood, a little yeah. more confident to be out there. And so, yeah, it's just all you can do is hope at this point, but it, it is interesting. It's a difficult year for everybody, um, for athletes in particular. Yeah. Oh, Greg, I had one more big roster question here. So we know we have our favorite favorite player, Harry O'Kelly, back uh, punting. We know that Ethan Radke is back kicking. Um, do you think there's going to be – we know that they had the transfer from Bridgewater. Uh, 
you know, is there anybody else we should expect to see on special teams in any role? Um, or, and, and kind of on the opposite side of that, you mentioned maybe using Solomon Van Horse in the return game. Uh, you know, anybody else we should expect to see, uh, you know, sort of at those specialist positions on special teams, one place or another? Yeah, I, you will see the Bridgewater College transfer. Connor Madden is, is probably mm-hmm. the kickoff specialist. Uh, Signetti okay. said every every ball he kicks goes into the end zone or past the end zone. So excellent. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think that that's always a good thing uh, for 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 a team on special teams. And then, uh, I, like I said, I think Van Horst. I think you can see some Juwan Hamilton uh, in the mix there. Uh, I know punt returner has been a little different. Uh, tough to replace D'Angelo Amos there. Probably tougher to yeah. replace him there than at safety. Uh, you could see Jack Schroba, who did it a little bit in, oh, yeah. in reserve of Amos. Uh, Jameer Hudson's another name I, I think to pay attention to. Uh, but my guess is is, is Schroba will get the first crack. Good to hear. Nice. Well, and uh, Rob, I don't know what if you have anything else, but I want to ask Greg. I, I don't know. You know, he's probably got a big column coming out. Um, and he wants everyone to check out jamesmadisondierivals.com. I think I got that right. And uh, and the DNR online site uh, for all your stuff. But I'm wondering, what do you think this year is going to hold for the Dukes this spring season? I mean, do you have a, I, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot with a prediction, but, you know, do you expect them to be, to, to win the South? <laughs> I guess is oh, the way yeah. to ask. It. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think I'm beating around the bush here with that. Uh, I think I think with with their schedule, the way it's set up, I mean, Moorhead State, Robert Morris, then the CA South games, two games with Elon, Richmond, and William and Mary. To me, maybe they're not ready to win the national championship today or February twentieth or, or February twenty seventh, but by the time the playoffs roll around, they will have been able to get better maybe while struggling a little bit at times against inferior competition uh, so that by the time they hit the playoffs, maybe they're hitting their stride. I, I think there's, there's plenty of room for, for error in, in some of these ball yeah. games with some of the opponents they're playing. Uh, uh-huh. I'm not, not, I'm not beating nope. around the bush with the schedule aspect of it because I think it's important. Uh, they, they, they can still, you know, I, not that they're going to walk in and just run over people, but there, there's room for error in some of these games where you still can get better, improve, make mistakes, and come away maybe a, a 20-point winner or a 15-point winner instead of a you know 40- or 50-point winner. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's something to think about and something that could help them uh, come playoff time. Nice. Yeah, yeah I figure if, if Wilson, Fornadel, and Gillespie stay healthy – they're going to put a hurting on some teams in well, the running game. That's that's <laughs> yeah, the like, their team. That's the foundation. Yeah, uh, they they did it really well in 2019. Uh, they did it really well in 2016 when they won a national championship. They have the foundation of what's made them very good in recent years, and that's like you said, Gillespie, Fornado, Wilson, uh, Timming is is going to be pretty good for them. Reliable at center, ultra smart. Uh, and then you have the the bevy of running backs with with Percy, yeah. Juwan, Latrell, and Solomon. Uh, so I think they'll be fine if they can run the football like they want to, uh, and and they have time to get better in the passing game, groom the quarterback, allow him to grow as the season goes on, plus the defense to improve, gain chemistry, and get better. Then, uh, then yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, then it's. I mean, I, I think you're exactly right, Greg. It's it, it's tough to figure out what's going to happen in the, with the new spring spring con, uh, construct or schedule and everything. But this really is set up for them to kind of make a steady uh, a steady incline towards really hitting their stride uh, come playoff time. A lot like 2016, where the team really wasn't hitting on all cylinders, was really kind of getting its act together. Um, I think for different reasons, but I'm very optimistic and. We don't need to beat around the bush. This is not the most challenging schedule JMU's had in the past couple of years. But in a pandemic year, it's it's set up pretty well for them to, I think, really do well, really make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's a really fair assessment. Yep. Yeah. Oh well, Rob, well, I don't know if you got here, yeah. one more question. One more question. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the Mets offseason? I got it. I, I'm so starved for <laughs> so starved for other Met fans. I've been texting furiously with my one Met fan friend, but um, I'm okay with the Bauer situation. I'd rather have them put the money towards re-signing Stroman and Conforto. But how are you thinking? You like their chances this year in the NL East? I, I like that they're trying. I, I really do. I, I think they're going to be fine. I, I don't know if they're better than Atlanta yet. Uh, I think oh. Atlanta is still really Atlanta's good. very good. Very Especially good. They just re-signed Ozuna. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'd be more worried about how they're going to win the NLEs, but if they get to the postseason, they've got as good a shot at any, as any, I like their starting pitching way more than I did last year. Uh, oh, yeah. with DeGrom, Stroman, uh, Carrasco, uh, the possibility of Syndergaard coming back at some point, uh, whether that's June or July, whatever, uh, I'm optimistic about the Mets, and, and you, you got one of the most exciting players in baseball this offseason. Uh, as a Met fan, I can't tell you the last time that's happened. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, so it, it is pretty nice. Maybe when they signed Beltron when I was a kid, I, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited. And I've also been – I'm kind of a traditionalist, and I've been very anti-DL – I mean, uh, DH for a while in the NL. But this is one year I'm like, if it, if, if it creates a situation where you can have Smith and Lonzo in the everyday lineup – I'd be all for it. <laughs> no, no doubt. Dom Smith is is a hitter. I, I really like him uh, as a player. He, he's just fun to watch, smacks the ball all over the field, can hit the home run, can get a base hit. Uh, I really like his game. It, he's, a real, he's a good first baseman too, so it would allow Alonso to just DH. Which, which, yeah, which is really what he should be. Yeah. Uh, it, it would just work really well if the Mets could get a DH. I'm anti-DH yeah. too, but I, I think if you're a Met fan, you kind of got to make the excuse now. Yeah, the selfishness in, in me would do it. And also you could slide Nimmo over over to left, maybe improve the, the defensive outfield. So everybody's excited about the pitching, but I think they got a really good lineup. You know, Conforto and uh, I don't J.D. Davis will probably be in some sort of platoon role, but I'm excited about baseball. Hopefully we can actually see some games in person this, this summer. Oh, uh, that'd be great. I'd be I'd be thrilled about that. Peanuts, beer, hot dog, go to a ball game, that'd be great. Oh, it'd be the greatest. Oh, yeah, so much. Yes. Gosh. Oh. Well, Greg, thank you so much for the time. We are really excited to listen to your podcast. Um, we enjoy it so much and we missed it when you weren't, you know, obviously there wasn't much for you to cover in in the fall. Um, we missed it and we've been so glad to hear your voice again a little bit here at the start of the year and to read your stuff, uh, both in the paper and on the website. So just, you know, happy to have you happy to talk football again, excited for the spring. I have no idea what your colleagues are going to do, Greg, by the way, I, I assume you're covering football pretty much full time now for the spring. Um, but JMU is JMU is about to embark on all of the sports. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? All, at, all at one time. And yeah, I know Shane has been covering the both basketball teams, but, um, you know, women's lacrosse is ranked 10th in the preseason. Volleyball, women's soccer, uh, softball, all expected to do reasonably well this season. I mean, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be plenty of work for you What's going there. on. Yeah. I'll tell you this though. I I'll take that over over the fall and the and the, and the summer <sighs> any any yeah. day of the week. Uh mm-hmm. I'd rather have all that to cover than nothing to cover. That's that that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, thank you so much, Greg and uh Yes, begrudgingly, good luck to you and Rob and the Mets um, this season. It will be a strong year in the NL East, that's for sure. And we can all enjoy watching Philly suffer at the hands of three well-constructed rosters at the yeah. top. So, yes. No doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but thanks, Greg, and uh, good luck this season. And I, I really hope we'll see you across a parking lot in Texas in May or something like that. Um, or, or at least in the fall, maybe, <laughs> you know, before then. Sounds good, guys. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. Always good to talk with you guys, Rob, Todd. Uh, thanks oh. so much, and, uh, and enjoy the season. There will be football played, JMU football played, so enjoy it, uh, all, all your listeners, too. Oh, you got it. Yeah. yeah thank and you very everybody, much. Everybody, don't forget you can find Greg at jamesmadison.rivals and at the DNR online site. So we'll talk to you soon, Greg. Thanks, <laughs> thanks guys. And welcome back to the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. Todd and Rob here. Big thanks to Greg Medea from the Daily News Record. Rob, it's so much fun talking to Greg. He just, you know, it's. I feel like if we could have him and Coach O and us just like sit around and have beers someday, it would be so yeah. much fun, right? Yes. No, I, I was really, really excited to talk to him. Yeah. That exceeded my expectations. He's He's been great every time we've had him on there, but he really knows his stuff. Like we, yeah, we are so fortunate as JMU fans to have him and Shane covering the, the programs. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, it's encyclopedic knowledge. We were just like, hey, what do you think about this position group? And he was going six or seven deep. Um, mm-hmm. It was really cool. Like, I, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And we have, you know, no, no shade to past regimes. But, um, you know, this has been something that has developed to this point over the time. You know, we started the the blog in 2009 and the coverage over at the daily news record was not like this. <laughs> no, um, no. And, and there've been some really good, there've been some yeah. really, I loved Mark Selig's coverage. Um, yeah. We love the guys. Barber, I, mean, I, think I in, thought was great. Individually we liked yeah. people, but this has been a whole nother level of professionalism and just understanding for Greg in particular, who came from West Virginia, an understanding of what a passionate fan base really wants. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I'm so grateful and, and, you know, small plug here. I mean, support your local media because if this was just some kid in a studio in San Francisco, you know, like in a, in his apartment covering this team, that this would not be the same. So well, that's the other thing I was actually really, yeah. it made me happy for him. Like mm-hmm. we talked about it, you know, you close it by saying, what's it, what's it going on? How busy it's going to be. You've got all these teams firing up and it had to have been a very difficult existence. Um, you talk about like the media just in general was kind of on razor's edge and it's a, it's a competitive industry. Um, but man, that must've been really, really tough just to mm-hmm. push through not knowing what was going to happen with Jamie football. So it was nice to see how excited he was about covering this team in the spring. 
For sure. So uh, one thing we should talk about is, Rob, did you have one big takeaway from talking to Greg, you know, maybe on the on the roster or the outlook for the season that you were I particularly mean, it, excited or concerned about? <laughs> my big takeaway is this is the first time I've legitimately been excited about spring football. I've always been like, oh, wow, you know, it's coming, it's coming. But talking to Greg tonight, it made me realize, like, not only is it going to be here in, what, 12 or 13 days, but mm-hmm. like it it's actually happening it's like and, <laughs> and almost famous like it's all happening you know the, the k, yeah. k Dotson thing um so that's the big thing like i'm like wow this is i'm more excited like legitimately looking forward to it rather than just like kicking the can down the road yeah. um, that being said the wide receiver talk has i've been very <laughs> that's an, very yeah. just kind of not curious like i'm not, uh-huh. not i'm not worried but more curious is what i meant to say uh-huh. i I thought that something would happen. There'd be players that emerge, but now I think this actually could be a little bit more of a dynamic offense. Uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but we all know the running game is going to be strong. We all know the offensive line is going to be pretty strong, but it sounds like Greg says we, we've got some reasons to be pretty excited about these, these guys catching the ball. Yeah, that, that was definitely good to hear. And you and I both listened last week when he was talking about it. And we're, we were kind of excited to talk to him about that position tonight, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess hopeful. I'd been wondering about what happened to the VMI kid. So I'm really glad to hear about Chris Thornton being a part of it. But I had forgotten. I really have forgotten, like lost track of the transfers. Or maybe I never had track of them. So like Scott Bracey coming in from Duke, you can't help but think about um, – you know, his predecessor coming from Duke. So I, I, you know, it's good stuff. And then the guy for me tonight, my one takeaway was, and I'm I'm so guilty of this. I've done this before on the defensive line in particular, but when he was talking about the kid, uh, Mason Cholowa, the transfer from UCF, Mm who's going to play inside, who is listed at 67305 and sounded like he was bigger legitimately yeah. at least six seven three oh five according to greg um who's you know met seen him in person uh that was really like because i've been really concerned about the defense and remain so I, I think um you know linebacker and db are maybe a little better than i thought after talking that through with greg like that i've kind of forgot about tucker dorsey and kind of forgot that mj hampton's a really solid player like there are good players that just not sure on the depth, but hearing about Cholowa up front made me really, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm, then I said, cheat him. Yeah, you know, that I, was so cool. You know, if, yeah. if he could stay healthy, he is a legitimate weapon, particularly mm-hmm. in the red zone. So I, I'm just excited. It seems more real now. It's like every yeah, year, I, like, you know, Christmas sneaks up on you every year. You get there, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you, whatever, you go to church and it's Advent, but then uh-huh. you're like, wait, wait, the third candle? Mm-hmm. I, that's yeah. kind of how I feel right now. <laughs> yes. Like, I've, I've, I've been like, oh yeah, football, that'll be the spring. But now after talking to Greg, I was like, wow, this is mm-hmm. like right around the corner. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team. Um, it's yeah. it's not the most intimidating schedule. But with all these unknowns, that kind of makes it a little bit more exciting for me, like to get a chance to see how these players develop. And we don't know what this team is going to look like. Uh, we think it's going to be pretty good, mm-hmm. but it is really neat. I feel like we get a chance to to relearn JMU football. You know, yeah. there's so many new things from, from quarterback to defensive backs to wide receivers. So it's like we're going to have all these new players that we get to become fans of. It's, it's very exciting. Um, 
I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm way more stoked about me this too. than I was I, an hour ago. Yeah, I am too. And and we're gonna have we'll do we'll obviously do a full pregame and preseason preview next week. We will. So I don't mean to you know <laughs> shoot all our bullets now, but <laughs> I'm just so excited to watch them. I don't know if we're gonna know what this team is until they get to the playoffs. And I thought it was interesting. The preseason poll came out. JMU was ranked fourth in the country behind NDSU, SDSU, and Weber State. So the usual suspects in the top four. Also, in a pandemic year, those three teams are going to be in the other half of the bracket. Yeah. And they're going to be screaming about how JMU got a, you know, potentially or someone from the CAA or the SOCON got a easy bracket, right? Or also, I guess the, 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 the poll so. is just yeah. Sam and Brian. You know, it's like, and yet I trust Sam and I trust Brian more them. than I anyone else, oh, right? Yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah. Right, but like that's just that's two prognosticators versus like this is not right. a, a consensus of any sort of coaches poll. No, it's no, two but, of the most knowledgeable guys in the game. Yeah, um, but it's it's not necessarily a poll. Um, yeah, but I have I'm just excited. I am excited, and I was very excited to see. I mean, for those that the first two games, the outer conference games uh, on February 20th and February 27th are going to be on. I think NBC Sports, NBC Sports Washington, Washington for one of them. Yeah. yeah. And that's really exciting yeah. to be able to kick off the season that way. Um, I was really excited about that and and not to, this isn't a shot at flow for once, but just that it might help our fan base kind of kickstart interest in the spring season um, to really have those games available is pretty exciting. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I did, I talked to my, I talked to a uh, scooter from the Duke club this week and uh, you know, it was fun to, to God, they're having a hard time, Rob, you yeah. and I have, you know, had, we've had different takes on this all year and we can revisit this again um, as we get into the season, but you know, it, it's, they don't know what to say to people right now mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. You know, I mean, they're like every school. And I thought it was funny. I didn't want to give Greg a hard time, but I, I don't know if you saw today, the SUNY system, um, announced they're going to have some major potential budget cuts, uh, which would include CAA member or CAA football member, Stony Brook and Albany. Um, So I don't know what that, you know, who knows what that means to athletics down the road, but I just actually JMU is really fortunate to be where they are and be headed to the season. And I'm excited about it. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll have fun talking uh, true preview and wins and losses next week, Rob. Yeah. Um, but that's good. And then for everybody else, one thing that I've been a little bit um, neglectful on is there we are getting ready to start all the sports. Rob and I have been focused on like spring sports, and we've certainly been focused on the the wonder that is JMU men's basketball right now. Uh, and the women finally getting to sleep. And the women are kicking it into gear. Yeah, yeah, really kicking it into gear. Got a chance to uh, run it back two more with Elon after some cancellations. And I love that the scores were like, I think they won by the same score both days this weekend, but they were or, different. They were different. Sunday different games. was more convincing. Yes. Um, but clearly starting to come together and some, some really good, you know, you, you could feel that mojo just through the quotes from coach O and stuff starting to start to come together a little bit. So, but w- what I want to say is I three sports start this weekend. Uh, three sports with relatively high expectations going into the season. Um, so even before we get to our football preview next weekend, when we talk next Monday, the 10th ranked lacrosse team will have played at number one Chapel Hill. 
or most likely will have played uh, on Saturday. And the women's soccer team will have hosted ODU on Sunday and the volleyball team hosts Delaware this Sunday. So we are kicking off all of the JMU sports basically this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a few field hockey and men's soccer don't start for quite a while, at least three or four weeks or so. Um, but most of the sports are really kicking off and we're going to have a whole lot to talk about. And as much fun as we'll be having doing four downs from football, it will also be fun to have potentially other little things to, to keep an eye on this spring. So yeah. And in two weeks we'll be curled up on a couch in the snowstorm somewhere watching JMU football. (laughs) So yeah. Um, So that's all there. And then Rob, we have a quick overtime tonight, right? One last thing. Yeah. Um, What are we? Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Michael Wonklatch, who pretty much is, he's an honorary producer at this point. He, he's probably come up with half of these OT topics. Oh, he's the best. And he never gets like mad at us for not choosing them or whatever. He's just the best. We know him. Puff, he, he's just the best. Good yeah. guy. Good guy. Good guy. Um, definitely have a beer with him. Have a meal with him if you can at some point. Enjoy mm-hmm. his company. Um, he said, if you could see any sitcom brought to current times and topics but with the original cast not having aged, which one would you pick? <laughs> I mean, you can go first. I, I got to think. Yeah, I liked song. this. I thought of a couple of these. Um, the two that immediately came to mind for me, and I'm sure there are others that would be funnier, but uh, Golden Girls okay, was one that absolutely came to mind. This is one I grew up on at my grandmother's house, mm-hmm. probably reruns already, um, but they're still on TV and they're still wonderful. And I had forgotten... I always forget. And then sometimes I'll catch one like late at night on a Saturday now or something where I, I had forgotten how willing they were to like take on current events. Mm -hmm. Like this is this goofy show about four older ladies in a retirement community in Florida, but was very like, it had some very serious moments about like sexual harassment, divorce, you know, like, serious things that um, would be interesting to see them now. Um, And then the other one I thought of was cheers, which is kind of in that same vein. And I would, would, in both cases, I was thinking uh, golden girls would be the easiest, right? Cause I feel like uh, Blanche would be a total like QAnon adjacent person. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Like getting sucked in by somebody she's dating. Rose would be like full democratic socialist, like St. Olaf, you know, wearing her Bernie mittens and, What's her name? Um, Blanche? You know, but no, the oldest lady, um, Estelle Getty, would be like just hammering her, like, you can't go to that way. You can't do that. You know, and Dorothy would probably be like the most, you know, I don't know, conscious, conscientious, like getting all into activism kind of like, like I just feel like that would be a really funny group right now um, in, in Florida. I, I don't know. Maybe things haven't changed all that much with those four. No, the, and then the cheers Florida one was the, the same. Yeah. Being in Florida is the one. And then cheers is another one. Cause I think it's a similar, uh, you know, you could pick those people out in current events and sort of evolve them into today's time. And, and it would be a really funny group. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, I enjoyed that. I, I was going to say yeah. cheers just because I love mm. cheers and just the notion of, of having more cheers is better. For yes. Me. Um, yes. I, I never thought of it as like a particularly topical or current events based mm. thing. That's kind of what I liked. I don't know if that's what, what 
Poof was going with this question of like, oh, you know what, the take on today's current mm. events, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I, I could go either way. Like I would love some of that. Some of the satire is always good. You know, a, a Veep type situation um, would be particularly, you know, mm-hmm. probably biting right now. But there's also the notion of like just pure escapism. What can I laugh for? And so I was going, yeah. cheers, that perspective. But if we're going to go the other way, I think the obvious answer, everyone would say Seinfeld just because it's like, oh, you know, it's so funny and it'd be so, but Seinfeld was never particularly tied into current events. Current events. It was maybe pop culture, but maybe it almost drove pop culture more than it reacted to pop culture. But for me, maybe the best blend, I would think Family Ties. I thought about that one. That's a great choice. You know, like they could do good. They could do like the sincere and earnest, but still be funny. And I think that would play very well now. And anytime you have Tom Hanks as a recurring character, you're going to be a big hit in America. Yep. Yep. Uh, but just the whole notion of like Alex P. Keaton being kind of the very capitalist and, and you know, go-getter. And then his parents, didn't the dad like work for PBS or something like that? Oh, yeah. And I actually thought about this today, Rob. And I was thinking, I'm not sure that Alex would be like, he wouldn't, I'm not sure that he would be like full conspiracy crazy guy. No, no. Not, he would be I, like I angry traditional republican right like yeah and actually i could see like mallory or one of the other kids like getting into some of that craziness and him being like what are you doing like you know like i just think that would set the right tone because yes a situation where like if you look at wherever you fall on the spectrum today i think Mm -hmm. unfortunately many of us can admit we're not the most unified um populace right now i think family time is really good about that talking about how like people can have different opinions but still be a loving family. And mm-hmm. for me, that would be very welcome right now. And I also am just really a huge cool. Michael J. Fox fan. I think uh-huh. Michael J. Fox, along with Ted Danson, are two of the greatest like television actors. Right. And anytime you talk about greatest, people are like, oh, you're crazy. I'm not saying this is, you know, like Dame Judi Dench, but in terms of like being a sitcom actor is a particular skill. Mm-hmm. Ted Danson is, you know, the Mount Rushmore of that mm-hmm. with, with cheers. I even thought Becker was very funny. I thought he was terrific on the good place. A lot of people are very excited about this Mr. Mayor, but Michael J. Fox was awesome. That and even like spin city, oh, which so was good. not as big of a hit. He was very, very funny on spin city. So I don't know. Family ties to me would be kind of, it would set the perfect tone where it could just make you laugh and make you realize like, Hey, it, it's okay to, to be different and not see the world the same way. And you can still love each other and laugh, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I think family ties and, and actually golden girls, those are good choices. Yeah. You're right about Seinfeld it, and, and even cheers. They did not hit big issues of the day. No. And uh, Larry That's David writing, I like right. I mean, part of Seinfeld is that the four, they're all kind of, assholes like yeah. that's the point of the show right yeah. like they wouldn't be less jerks today than they were then yeah you're right no, the other I, one i i think the other one I, modern day seinfeld they really just want curb your enthusiasm i think they can they do exactly Kirby the other one that would be fun. interesting rob that i thought of which is a little i don't know we're a little later younger than us i guess i, I don't know but i think fresh prince is another one that would be um just the like will they bring them back in some capacity. Well, it's funny because that show kind of had a little bit of a conscious to begin with, which is the reason it was successful at all, right? I mean, there was this dynamic of, I mean, the Beverly Hillbillies dynamic is basically what it is yeah. um, for a different culture, and I, you know, that would be there'd be a lot more fertile ground. I feel like um, 
for the Will Carlton interactions mm-hmm. today than there maybe even than there were, you know, in the nineties. So I, I don't know. I, and yeah, then if, I, if you really want to go older, like older than us, mm-hmm. I think obviously people like I, my dad or mom probably say like all in the family or the Jeffersons mm-hmm. that really were, were ahead of their times. I didn't, I'm not that familiar with all in the family. I'm not right. that old. I watched a lot of Jeffersons on three's company would be out of control. Right. Yeah. <laughs> today's world yeah, yeah. but a lot yeah. of I mean, the all in family was the same sort of thing as yeah. family ties with just a little bit more of a cynical humor take yeah um, yeah uh, it'd be fun i mean i think family ties is a great answer though because it is about i mean at its heart it's like loving each other despite our differences right yeah, complete differences and i think that would apply really well right now yeah or and at least recognize it maybe he was just saying like hey what's really funny george was on tv which is why i first went to cheers because i always right. was first me too cheers. that's what i did i was like oh well immediately cheers because they'd still have fun like it's so fun the know. cold opens were so funny like, I just <sighs> yeah. like what do you think about you know george wentz and, and woody <laughs> the transition to when you think about major characters from coach to woody or <sighs> um diane or diane to, to, uh, well kirstie alley yeah was, yeah what the hell was her Who, name um, yeah, I know <laughs> we're, we're lost. We're old too. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, that, oh, no. Was just, that was just a Rebecca. 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 Yeah. Well, and you can transition the major characters because you still have Cliff and company sitting at the bar. Yeah. Right. You still have Carla waiting tables. By the way, Carla would be wonderful. Carla would be hilarious. She would be hilarious in today's, I'm not actually sure where she would stand in today's world, but she would be hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. But one. those are the so, big ones. Like th- those are my favorites growing up. Mm-hmm. Like I loved family ties. I love different strokes, but honestly, I don't remember if that was a good show or if I was just a little kid and I mm-hmm. thought it was neat that they had an elevator or whatever, you know, like, or something yeah, like I was, I thought about like, I was like, I really liked, um, what's the one silver with, um, spoons. Do you watch that one? I, I, a little bit, but I don't, I don't really remember any the one I was. It. No, the one I'm thinking of is the, um, what's the Kirk Cameron one? The, growing uh, pains growing pains yeah that Leonardo is DiCaprio def- yeah yeah but that's the one that I like thought of and I'm like I don't think I want to see that family today like I don't know if I really care about them anymore but yeah that's pretty funny so a good topic thank you Michael for the uh the suggestion and we hope we get to see you somewhere this year yeah. um yeah and big thanks again to Greg. Rob, it's so good to talk to you. This was really fun. And yeah, this I, was fun. I'm excited just to talk next week about – we're going to be previewing the Morehead State football. game. Yeah, yeah. real football. Like, this we're going to be talking like, Cole Johnson and Scott Bracey here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this it is, is exciting be. stuff. It's, it's I know. Really how right to balance the, the carries in the running back like field. Oh, gosh. It just – that feels good. Mm-hmm. So, And eventually, Rob, we're going to have to do this. A lot of people have been really enjoying lately. I've, I've, Rob, I've loved it. Your, uh, the interaction has only gone up slowly but surely to your, uh, nightcap videos. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got to send one of those. Crap. Yeah. And the thing you posted a couple days ago with the Dave Matthews band performance live from PC Ballroom in 1993 is legendary and wonderful and creepy. And just amazing, and it and it is definitely worthy of an entire show breakdown film with style. a very special guest. Um, sometime in the next, I don't know, two or three months, we're going to enjoy that 
immensely. <laughs> yeah. Does Jamie have a bye week? Do we have a bye week? This that could be. Yeah, we got to figure out how. Well, they April seventeenth potentially before the playoffs, we'd have one, and we also have to figure out how to. I think that would be a really fun one if we could ever figure out how to do a video show, um, you know, with live reactions and props and everything else. <laughs> we just, really- we actually just got invited to be part of the Zencaster beta, which I think allows video recording. So, Oh, look at us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So big thanks to Mossy Creek fly fishing, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Go by, um, get some lessons on tying your flies for your spring creeks coming up and just in general, go see our friends, get whatever you need, um, to stay warm this winter. And we're getting ready to head into another week of snow. It's good times around here, Ralph. So I, I know, but, Rob, otherwise, I will talk to you next week and we will preview the start of JMU football season. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Go Dukes.